For those of you who don't know, my name is Kevin Duval. I used to pastor here many years ago, and, and I thank you for the opportunity coming back to be able to share with you this morning. It's like a few people have already said to me, welcome home, and it is. It's just home. I look around and see all the familiar faces. I've taken on the responsibility of Bob Yawberg, the same thing that says, you know, Bob, it was always said of him that you knew Bob loved you when he couldn't remember your name. <laughs> I don't know your names. <laughs> no, and I'm just joking. But I do. I always am appreciative of the love that's given to me uh, when I come here and my, and my family, too. In fact, this morning, my wife, Cindy, is here on the second row with four of our grandchildren. You know, I used to be able to say four of our children, but now we're up to grandchildren. And we have seven, and we have four of the seven with us this morning. Not because they volunteered to come, but they had to come because Grammy and Pops were taking care of them this weekend. So, uh, so they're here for that reason. But I wanted to be able to take an opportunity to share with you this morning some things that uh, are on my heart. And, and part of it came as a result of the passage that I was assigned Ephesians 2, 1 through 10. You're in the study of Ephesians, and you're going through what Paul has to say to the church. You know, the, in the letter to the Ephesians, it wasn't really a church that had some major problems, but Paul wanted to address them and let them know the position and the power we have in Christ. For the last two weeks, Pastor Ryan has done an exemplary job on the preaching of the chapter 1, and you say, well, Kevin, how do you know? Because I've been listening to the tapes. Bill Snyder, as you all know, sends out the tapes every week and so faithful. And in fact, when I started getting them, I thought, man, how long has Phil been doing that? And we know he's in the back room here. We don't always see him. But a faithful servant of God for the many years. Thank you. Yeah. And then while we were sitting there worshiping and singing with the young people, my thoughts came to this. Number one, what a blessing for a church to have young people like this. And sometimes we can do that. I'm, I'm guilty of this, and I think maybe you are too. Sometimes it says, look at the future generation that we have for the church. Guess what? They're the church of this generation too. So let's not forget how they led us, and I just, uh, I was so pleased and honored to see that happen and to take place this morning, for me to be a part of the place where God dwells among his people, no matter what age it might be. You see the title here, Lest We Forget. You know, what did we do a couple of weeks ago as a nation? We remembered a thing called 9-11, 17 years ago. And we know the impact that it had on our, this country. And in fact, I was very curious to find out some other information about that. And I, so I pulled up an article. And if you remember back in 9-11-2001, church attendance skyrocketed. And I want to read this article to you, just parts of it. This was from one of the senior pastors in a church, fellowship church, uh, Ed Young is his name in Texas, and he said this. He said, after 9-11, we had some 20,000-odd people show up, the largest crowd in the fellowship church. And when I walked on stage, I looked around and said, where have you guys been? It takes something like this for you to show up to, to church. Well, then he said, the following weeks, church attendance dropped, continued to drop. And then this was said, but sometimes 
or but some estimates said the following Sunday after the terror attacks, roughly half the adult population in the United States attended a religious service. According to the Barnard research, a polling from that specialized firm that specialized in religious data, religious activity is back to normal, just about it was before the attacks. 42% of the Americans polled said they attended church services. 84% said they prayed before September 11th. Get that. 42% polled they attended services. 84% said they prayed before September 11th. And now, 43% said they attend services, and 83% said they pray. So it seems that church went up, but prayers went down. And then this also in the article says, if you don't respond to spiritual crisis fairly immediately with some new priorities and activities, it's going to be a permanent, it's not going to be a permanent change. When things are going bad, we want to turn to God and want to get right with him. And we want to attend church. When things level out, we tend to forget the most important things and drift away. When I read that article, I said, man, that's what's happened in 17 years. But I went back and looked at the article. Here's the date. September 11th. 2002. One year, one year, things has changed. Went back to normal. So I wanted this morning, as I was thinking about what Paul wanted to say to us, he told us about our position in Christ. He told us about the power we have in Christ. And then he pauses and he stops and he says, but let's remember something of our past. And that's what we come to our passage this morning. Ephesians 2, 1 through 10. As is the custom here at Broadway, which I appreciate so much, let's stand for the reading of God's word. Ephesians 2. As you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and of the rule of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are obedient. All of us also lived among them at once, at one time, gratifying the cravings of our sinful nature and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were human, we were by nature objects of wrath. But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved, and God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms and in Christ Jesus, in order in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not of yourself, it is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast, for we are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. Let's pray. 
Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the way that you have encouraged us by these words that were penned so long ago. Father, I thank you for the opportunity that you have given to me this morning to share. I ask that it will be less of me and more of you. I ask that as we come to look at these words, that they will just not be words written on a page, but words that can be written in our hearts. Father, I thank you for what has taken place on this corner of the city. I thank you for the light it continues to shine. I thank you for the encouragement it brings to people. I thank you for the way there's love abounding. And I thank you for the way that you continue to minister as a body and as, a, as believers in Jesus Christ. May this morning be pleasing to you as we work, look at your word. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. I want you to know that um, in several passages that we'll look at, I'll be switching translations just to let you know ahead of time. It's not always the NIV. But someone once asked this question, it says, which translation is the right translation to read? And in fact, I remember one time even in this particular congregation here, and it wasn't you, but it was a visiting pastor that came and visited me when I was on staff here. And he questioned me, he says, which translation do you use? And because I didn't say King James Version, he says, you know, that's not right. You must use the King James Version. So, so the response was, well, which is the right translation to read? My response, the one that you will read. We always have to find God's word that's going to minister to us by what we read, not by just the translation that we use. So you're going to see me mix up some things here a little bit this morning, but I wanted to give you a heads up on that. So the Apostle Paul says, uh, as we looked at these verses of Scripture, he's divided this section up. And the first was that we want to look at, that was then, verses 1 through 3. He gives us a history here, a little bit, of who these people were before Christ. He's reminding them, don't forget this. Don't forget where you have been. And so now he's saying, okay, let's look at these areas. And I'm going to just go through these briefly, because even though we look at where we have been, we want to see where he's going to take us. I probably need to share this as well. There are some of you, sad to say, I'm sure there's some or one or two in here, because there always is, that that was then, but unfortunately for you, this is now. You have not gotten out of what God wants to provide. But I just want to encourage you, there is a message of hope here. So as we look at these first three verses, I want you to listen to these things here. The first thing he says, and you see on your screen, as for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins. We were dead. Now, Paul would say, why would he say something like that? Because as we think physically, what does death mean? There's no life. And there is no life separated from Christ. And he said, you were dead in your transgressions. And as you think about what's the difference of transgression and sins, 
Transgression is the way we walk. Sins are missing the mark. And Paul wanted to show to them, and says, this is where you are dead. And we look at that, and we look at our life, and we say, okay, God, what do you want to say to us? And he said this in Isaiah. But your iniquities have separated you from God. Your sins have hidden his your sins have hidden his face from you so that he will not hear. You see, at one time in our lives, we were dead. We were separated from God. And God said, look at your sins. Look at your transgressions. Because I have an answer for you. The second thing he says that when... That was then we were disobedient. Look at these words here. It says, in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and the rule of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. Barclay says it this way. At first, a man regards some wrong thing with horror. The second stage comes when he is tempted into doing it, but even as he does it, he is still unhappy and ill at ease, and very conscious that it is wrong. The third stage is when he has done the thing so often that he does it without a qualm. Each sin makes the next sin much easier. You see, when we look at those things, we could break that down. We said we follow the ways of the world. We know about Satan being the prince of the air, being the one who will tempt us. And now we are like those who are disobedient. It doesn't take much for us to look at the world today, does it, and see the ways of the world. We've been saddened by what we've seen on TV for the last several weeks. And I'm not going to get into political arenas or anything like that, but there was one thing that came out of it, and if you heard of it, and I'm talking about Judge Kavanaugh and Dr. Ford. You remember Dr. or Judge Kavanaugh said one thing, his little daughter, 10-year-old daughter, said, Dad, let's pray for that woman. Of all that has taken place for me, that was my highlight. We need to quit complaining, and we need to be more praying. And I see that's what Paul is saying here. He's saying that this is where we were disobedient, that we have followed the ways of the world, and we haven't been on our knees praying. And we haven't turned our, our ways and say, okay, God, we don't understand maybe always, but we know that you're in charge. You're always in the role. You're always in control. Not some of the times, not most of the time. All the time, God is in control. And we must be always reminded of that. But then he says, that was then, and now you were deceived, is the next one he says. All of us who lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our flesh and following its desires and thoughts. That's what we were like. Here's how Peterson in the message said it. It is obvious what kind of life develops out of trying to get your own way all the time. Repetitive loveless, cheap sex, a stinking accumulation of mental and emotional garbage, frenzied and joyous grabs for happiness, trinket gods, magic show religion, 
paranoid loneliness, cutthroat competition, all-consuming yet never satisfying wants, a brutal temperature, an impotence to love or to be loved, divided homes, divided lives, small-minded, lopsided pursuits, the vicious habit of depersonalizing everyone into a rival, uncontrolled and uncontrollable addictions, ungodly parodies of community. I can go on. This isn't the first time I have warned you, you know. If you use your freedom this way, you will not inherit God's kingdom. Now, Peterson is very descriptive of all that, is he not? And we can see all the things and the sins that take place in our world. But you know, sometimes we want to say that's what takes place out there. And we don't look to say what takes place in here. And that's what Paul is trying to remind us. He says, and such were you. He's reminding us again that this is how it was then. And then we come to a section that is so powerful, probably a section you're most familiar with, but we've narrowed it down to two words. But God. Think about that. I don't even have to say another thing, but God. He took those sins and he did something for you and for me. But God was merciful. We were dead because of our sins, but God loved us so much that he made us alive with Christ. And God's gifts of undeserved grace is what saves you. But God. I found an article that said something this, that it said, but God. That was so appropriate. But God. These two words are overflowing with gospel. For sinners like you and me who were lost and completely and unable to save ourselves from our dead set rebellion against God, there may, they may not be two more hopeful words that we could other, ever utter. Once we were dead to any real love of God at all, buried under the compounding and disorienting blindness of our sins, but God. Once we were deceived by our own lust for glory and self-determination, once we unknowingly led by the pipe piper called the prince of the power of the air, but God. Once we enslaved to the passion of our flesh, being driven and tossed between the impulsive ways of our flesh and mind, but God. But God. And throughout the scriptures, we find other phrases, phrases and other sentences that tells us, but God. You remember Joseph and all that he went through because of his brothers? And we have this verse that's so familiar to us. And he said to his brothers, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good. In the Psalms, we write, you see these words, their beauty shall be consumed at the grave. But God will redeem my soul from the power of the grave. My flesh and my heart may fail, 
but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. For scarcely a righteous man will die. Perhaps a good one might die for someone else. But God demonstrated his love toward us, and while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. But God, we remember then the life that we live. Paul is saying, you remember how disobedient you were. But God, rich in his mercies, impacted your life with his love, his grace, his mercy. For we find that it, God's telling us here, but God has given us that forgiveness that we so desperately, desperately need to be reminded of. I like to read to you here from Psalm. It's not on the screen, but I want you to listen to these words from David. The Lord is compassion. The Lord is gracious. Slow to anger, abounding in love. He will not always accuse, nor will he harbor his anger forever. He does not treat us as our sins deserve or repay us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his love toward us. And for those who fear him, as far as the east is from the west, so far, he has removed our transgressions from us. I know you've heard that before. As far as the east is from the west, do you realize that is unending? You try to travel opposite directions. If you say you're going to always go east, it's always east. You go west, it's always west not north and south. Once you go north, you're going to have to go south eventually, not east-west. That's why God intended to have those verses written that way, because it's unending. His arms are open so wide that you can never get to the end of them. That's how much he loves us. But God, God has the only hands that can do that, because those hands were nailed to a cross, and he forgave you and me. But God, that's what he wants us to understand. That's why he's saying that lest we forget where we were and where we have come to, we're going to be almost repeating the same things over again. And you might say, well, well pastor, you know, did the Ephesians really learn that? Did the Ephesians really say, okay, Paul, we understand our past, and we understand but God. We won't ever forget. Read Revelations chapter 2, the letter that John wrote through Jesus to the church of Ephesus. They did some great things, did they not? They did some great work, did they not? 
But Jesus had one thing to say against them, if you remember. You have less left your first love. You see, but I think that was like some 30 years later, I think what happened, they forgot the but God. But God. And that is why I think for you and me this morning, we need to make sure that we understand as we look at our past, he doesn't want us to stay in our past. We want to be in the present. We want to say, this is now. And we get to this is now because of, but God. And look what he says here. Back in our passage of scripture here. In verse 10, he says, For we are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared for us in advance. You see, it's saying here now we are his workmanship, his masterpiece, his handiwork. You know, the Greek says there, it's about a poem. God's writing your poem every day. And when I saw that and I thought of the master's piece and, uh, and I thought of his workmanship, I thought of the old thing, and I'm not going to read to you because you probably remember, it's an old, old poem, The Touch of the Master's Hand. And for those of you who don't remember, I know if you're not as old as me and some of you are, you know, and some of you are real young, you don't know that one. I encourage you, because of today, there's Google. Google The Touch of the Master's Hand and read about this poem that was written in 30 minutes because the writer was inspired to it. But the bottom line was, it was about the old violin that had no worth at all. And it was being auctioned for one, two, three dollars. Nobody was going to give it. Then an old man from the back of the room came forward and grabbed the violin, tuned it, played it, and played a melody so sweet as if the angels were singing. And then the auctioneer said, okay, how about $1,000, $2,000, And the people didn't understand. How could such a change occur? And the answer was the touch of the master's hand. You see, God has touched your life. He has given you the opportunity to be molded in shape according to his will. Have thine own way, Lord. Have thine own will. Boy, thou art the potter, I am the clay. Mold me and shape me after your will. Have thine own way, Lord. Have thine own way. This morning, are you able to say that? Are you able to say, God, have my own way? Or are you able to say, God, have your own way? That's what God wants to do this morning for us. He wants us to look back and remember where we have come from and to say, but God, to where we are today for this is now. You see, God has made us unique. Each one of us is unique. We're not reproductions of one another. We're not done on assembly line, but he's created you and me unique. But aren't there times where we fail and we forget? That happened to Peter. Casting Crowns wrote a song, and I'm going to have them play it for you in a minute. And I want you to watch the words 
Watch the scene and remember that Peter was, this was then for Peter. That was then. But God did something, and this is now. Watch this. By grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not by works so that anyone can boast, for we are God's workmanship. That was then. The way we follow the ways of this world and the evil desires of our hearts, but God made all the difference, and this is now. What takes us from then to now? But God. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found. Was blind, but now I see lest we forget this is now. Let's pray. Father, we're reminded once again of your abundance grace. Grace that is unimaginable, really as we look at what you did for us, a grace that in spite of all that we have done, in spite of all the things we have denied, in spite of all the things that we have said no to, you said yes. May today we respond. May we know without any shadow of a doubt that was, that was what happened ago, days ago, weeks ago, years ago. But for you, this is now. 
and I will not be the same. In Jesus' name, amen.